All right, everybody, can we open our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 19? And let's have a time in God's Word together this morning. Praise the Lord. Okay, so last week we considered just kind of the opening event when Paul first got to Ephesus, Ephesus that kind of stands out there by itself in the text. And uh, so I'm going to pick up today um, in verse, where he goes into the synagogue, verse 8. Let's bow before the Lord and pray again, this time praying and asking for his help in receiving his word, and then we'll read and have some time of teaching. Thank you, Lord. Now we come to the point of our assembly that we set aside to read the scriptures and try to learn from it what you would have us learn. I pray, Lord God, that if there's anyone here or listening to this online, Lord God, that needs to come to faith in Christ to receive salvation, that through what maybe they've already heard, even in the songs and prayers and what they'll hear in the preaching of your word today, that you, Lord God, would open their hearts to the truth of their need for salvation through faith in Christ, and that you would bring them, Lord, to believe that they might become your children and be saved, be reconciled to you. Lord, for those of us who have come to that point by your grace and by your power, we pray that as we read and study today that this would inspire us, that we would read this, Lord, and say in ourselves that this isn't just history. This is what we want. Maybe not looking exactly the same in every detail, but certainly the result of it, (laughs) where your word spreads. Help us, grant to us, Lord, please, that we might be part of that. Thank you where we have been part of it over the years. Let us increase more and more. Here's your word. Laying it out before us again. Help us to read it and receive it. Be doers of it. In Jesus' name, Lord, I ask it. Amen. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 19. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them 
and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So I call this message 10 Marks of a Thriving Ministry. And today will be part one. We'll just look at the first five, which occupies verse 8 through verse 10. So just three verses we'll cover today. But we'll see the first five marks of a thriving ministry. And then next week we'll take the, we'll take the second half of this. But I wanted to read the whole passage to you because right from the get-go, let's recognize what the goal of all of this is. Let's recognize what the focal point of all of this really is. There's, there's, a, there's something that occurs in this passage three times that you ought to recognize and see, here's what's really important. Because someone might look at a passage like this and think that it's the details that we need to copy. We should be sending handkerchiefs to people and, and doing that. Because there are ministries that do that, right? There are ministries that look at this passage and they've used it to cheat people out of their money by, by sending these little trinkets to people in the mail and saying, write a check and send in your offering and then pray over this and blah, blah, blah. It's really, it's really not the point, all right? But really what's important about this passage of Scripture is what occurs three times. In ver- at the end of verse 10, did you catch this statement? All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Right? And then over in verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 17, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And then in verse 20, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Do you think just looking at that, kind of stepping back and looking at the macro level at this passage of Scripture, you think that presents to you what's really important here to the Lord? What was the Lord's objective in all of this? It's the same objective that it is today. He wants his word to spread. And the way that he spreads the word is through his faithful servants who are filled and empowered and led by his spirit. They carry with them the revealed word of God in the form of the holy scriptures and they take the word of God and they take it to people. And listen, that's exactly what was going on here. So three times in this passage, irrespective of the different methodologies that the Lord himself employed working through these people, the great objective of, what did I say the message was called? Ten marks of a thriving ministry. The objective of a thriving ministry is not just to stuff a lot of people in a building every Sunday morning. Right? The objective of a thriving ministry is not to make a name for itself or to become famous or to have lots of money and lots of property. The objective of a thriving ministry is right there. To be part of what God is doing in spreading the knowledge of his holy gospel throughout the world. We want the name of Jesus Christ the Lord to be what? I love this word, magnified. That word means exactly what you think it means. It's not some special religious term. You can take look at it for yourself, you know. You, you, you take a magnifying glass and you put it in front of something, what's it do? It makes it bigger. It makes it bigger and easier to look at and easier to understand and easier to read. That's exactly what we are doing with the name of Jesus Christ and with the knowledge of the gospel is we want to make it big, not for ourselves. We're not trying to make ourselves big. We want to make Jesus well known. And it is actually, when we step back and think about it, it's actually he who's doing it, Right? It's he who is, as other places in Scripture make it clear, it's he who is reaching out through us. It's he who's speaking through us. We've been sent as ambassadors, but we're the ambassadors of him, right? So let's just say right from the beginning, before I go through my list here, that the objective of every truly thriving ministry is to make Jesus known and to make Jesus magnified and to make the word of God do whatever we can, use whatever resource we have, devote our time, devote our first and best energy, devote all of the inclination and thrust and motivation of our hearts into making the word of God known. 
that has been the charge on every generation of Christians since there have been Christians. And it still is. Amen? So, ready? Let's take a little journey through this passage of Scripture that'll take us two weeks here. Let's see the first half of this, starting in verse 8. We don't get very far before we have to stop and think a little bit. Right? How's this start? With the word, and he. Stop right there. Okay? So, where did all of this start? It started with a servant of God who was devoted to God, who knew what his calling from God was. And so he stayed close to the Lord. He was devoted to the Lord. And the Lord was working through him. Where does this story start? I want to suggest to you that while where I started reading today was in verse 8, you need to back up a little more to see where this story starts. It actually starts back in chapter 9, doesn't it? Turn to, I want you to see this, turn to Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Just a few pages back. Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Now, the first part of Acts chapter 9 tells us the story of about how Saul, when he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians in the synagogues to persecute Jewish believers who were still in their synagogues but had believed that Jesus was the Messiah and had come to know God through faith in Jesus. He was on his way to persecute them back in those days. And of course, the first part of this passage tells us about how all of that went down. You know, it's famous. Jesus calls out, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Etc. But now I want you to see, you know, at, starting at verse 10 in Acts chapter 9, because this gives you the seeds for what's happening in Acts chapter 19. It says, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. That's Paul eventually, right? For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, that was him, who Jesus was talking to, coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from this, I I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, but the Lord said to him, ready? Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. The story of what's happening in Acts chapter 19 when Jesus goes into the synagogue starts not with Paul, even though it starts with the words, and he. The story starts with God. And the story starts with God choosing Paul to be his own servant to go and to do these things. God has chosen us. God has called us to salvation. But brothers and sisters, may I suggest to you, as we think about this this passage of scripture that's before us today, when I read what happened at Ephesus, I would love to see that sort of thing happen in Woodbridge. And of course, I've been here preaching from this pulpit for over 19 years now. And to some extent, in little bits and ways, we have. Over, I can say now, having been here as long as I have, we've seen people get saved. We've seen people like get baptized and come into the church and and, and learn the word of God. We've raised up people who now preach the gospel to other people. And, you know, that's been very exciting to see. But we don't ever want to stop. And we don't ever want to just become, like, content with, we have a nice little group of people that gets together every week, and, and, and we love the Lord, and we worship the Lord. When you read that passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 19, God's not just trying to give you a history lesson. God is trying to show you You're one of them. 
right? You're one of these people. You're linked by what happened to you to what happened to them when you came to know Christ. If you're in Christ, you've believed the same Jesus that Paul preaches. If you've received the Holy Spirit, you've received the same Holy Spirit who's leading and guiding the Apostle Paul in this story, right? Uh, If you know the power of God to work in you, it is the same power of God that somehow caused people to be healed by touching handkerchiefs that had come into contact with the Apostle Paul. I'm not saying he does the exact same thing, but it's the same spirit, it's the same God, it's the same power. And you should look at what's happening in Acts chapter 19 and say, you know what? In my life, in my church, if God has saved me, I want to be part of this as well. And I think that's what the Lord wants. But you know, that's where it starts, is the recognition That God has called us. I mean, we sometimes look at church, let's be honest. We sometimes look at church as an activity in our lives. We look at church as something that we try to fit into our schedules. We look at God as something that we add to our lives. We look at Christianity as something that we try to squeeze into our Listen, I hate to tell you, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but if you read to the end of this story, you see that these are not people who are trying to squeeze Christianity into their lives. They come bringing books of witchcraft and throwing them in a fire and burning them. They're not trying to add Christianity to their lives. They're trying to dispose of the wickedness that was their own lives because Christianity became their lives. And it's so easy in this life to slip into something that's comfortable. We custom tailor it for ourselves. I hate to say it, but it's so American to want to do that, isn't it? Like, I'm gonna, I like this Christianity thing, but it is going to be part of my life to the degree that I permit. And may I say to you, that's not how God works. At least on the pages of this book when I read it, is God comes in the way that he came into a guy like Paul. And he comes into his life, he caused Paul to be blind for three days, then caused him to be miraculously healed because he's my chosen vessel to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to stand before kings, to preach the gospel to the Jews, and what else? I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. That doesn't sound like God was trying to like find a little empty compartment in Paul's life to squeeze into. He was taken over, Paul. I want God to take over us like that. Our church together, our ministry. That sounds lofty and it sounds idealistic. And maybe it is. And maybe people would listen to that and say, you're crazy. So what? I mean, I'm reading the Bible to you, right? I mean, what's, what's your reality? This? Or, 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 or some pathetic meandering through day-to-day life that eventually is just going to come to an end anyway? Here it is. The life with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I suspect to you that the Apostle Paul spent a great deal of time in prayer. It was he that penned the words, pray without ceasing. I suspect to you that the Apostle Paul spent a great deal of time meditating on God's word, right? It was he who said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I suspect that the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time in fellowship and a lot of time with the different churches that he had raised. After all, it was he who wrote and he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers so that they might bring us all to the unity of the Spirit, you know, cause the church to grow and to be secure. I kind of butchered the quotation of that, but you can look it up in Ephesians for yourself, right? I mean, Paul was a guy who Jesus became his life. And as a result, when the time came in Ephesus, there he was, ready to roll. 
and God worked in him and God worked through him to do something mighty. So number one on my list of ten things is it started off marks of a thriving ministry. It started off with a man who God chose, who God saved, who God equipped, and who God sent. What do you want your Christianity to be? I mean, I would love for us to be like this, right? Having impact in the lives of people around us. And like I said, I've been here long enough now where I can say that has happened, but I want it to happen more. And I want it to be more consistent. And I want it to be more abundant. Praise God. All right. See how that goes? There's number one. Number two. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly. There's number two on the list. Another mark of a thriving ministry is that there is great boldness in Christ. Where does that, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a half-hearted thing. It's not, it's not a devotion that shares residence in the heart with much else, right? It's a, it's a commitment. And so there's a great boldness, there's a courage. Listen, some people just innately, naturally seem to have that, right? I, I consider myself not to be one of those, right? But there are some people, for whatever reason... They just naturally seem to be very uninhibited. They could sell anything, right? They have, they have no problem walking up to like a, a complete stranger and just engaging in a conversation about whatever. Most of us are probably a little more inhibited than that just by the, the norms of the society that we grew up, grew up in. It's probably even more extreme now and we've become even more conditioned to it because of the pandemic and that still has like the effect of keeping people apart from one another and and everything else. But I have to tell you, there was a boldness that Paul had because he walked into, listen, we take it for granted because by the time you get to Acts chapter 19, you've seen this happen a few times already, right? But you have to stop and think to yourself what Paul's doing here. He's walking, I I want you to put, put yourself in this situation. He walked into a synagogue and walked up in front of the synagogue and preached that Jesus was the Messiah. Who wants to go do that today? Right? You want to go over to Metuchen or go wherever there's a synagogue and see if you can get yourself invited to walk in and talk and then walk in and open up your Bible to all of your Old Testament passages only and show them from there that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's what Paul did. And he did it for three months. Right? And you can see that when he does finally end up leaving, he says he takes the disciples with him. So, so as he was doing that, people were among that group getting saved. The Lord was doing that. But what was it in his spirit that enabled? What had the Holy Spirit given him? Boldness. Boldness. Turn back, because I want you to see, boldness is one of those things where, while some people seem to have it, Boldness is something that I think is available to every Christian. Boldness is something that I think is a byproduct of potentially every single Christian's walk with God. Turn back to chapter 4, because it's very easy to see in the book of Acts where boldness comes from. Let's just read chapter 4 and be reminded of this. Acts chapter 4. This is right in the wake of at the beautiful gate the, the, the man who had never walked got healed and he was leaping and praising God and it, 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 it drew you know, silver and gold have I none but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ stand up and walk and the guy walks and he's leaping he's praising God causes a big scene everyone rushes together Peter preaches the gospel the religious leaders of course don't like that And, uh, well, here's what happens. Chapter 4. As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I mean, the Sadducees didn't like that. We know that. That was their big thing, is that they didn't believe in a literal resurrection. And so here come the apostles, after healing the healing of this man, preaching people that Jesus died and rose from the dead, 
And then if you have faith in Christ, you're going to rise too one day. So here they come preaching. That's, that's pretty, that's a good lesson in boldness right there itself, right? But what I want you to see is it shows us in here in this chapter where that boldness comes from. Ready? And they laid hands on them and they put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. How would you react? How would you react if, if Pastor Lou and, and your church asked you to come and participate in some evangelistic ministry and just out of the blue, you not even realizing it, ended up getting arrested and thrown in prison? What would that do to your desire to preach the gospel? Well, let's see what it did to them. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000, which is one of the reasons why they were especially angry because God was really blessing this. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, you know, the same group that arrested Jesus and turned him over to Pilate, John and Alexander, as, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when... They had set them in the midst. They asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? As if they didn't know. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, now listen to this. They'd just been arrested for preaching, spent the night in jail. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we're judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, if we this day are judged for a good deed, done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I mean, I thought, I thought just saying Jesus Christ of Nazareth was bold. But now it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands before you whole. Boldness. Boldness of a lion. Courage. Devotion. Zeal. Christianity. This is, let's quote some scripture to the religious leaders. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Fisherman Peter, Galilean fisherman Peter, standing in front of the Jewish religious high council, quoting scripture to them. Boldness. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We love quoting that verse, but remember who said it to whom on what occasion. Boldness. Now, ready? Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. It says perceived, right? In other words, they could tell in how they looked, how they talked, how they, maybe certain aspects of their behavior, you know, they weren't the elite of society, right? They weren't aristocratic. When they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled. And they're ready? And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Any chance you can grab that for me, brother? <laughs> it's because there's too many hymnals here. Um, thank you. That's, listen, listen. They made the connection between they're bold. There's no reason why they should be. They don't look like the type that should be. But they had been with Jesus. That's where boldness comes from. May I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, it's still where boldness comes from. It's still where look. You can't walk closely with Christ and not be bold, because there's something about it's like it's like when Moses spends time with God and comes back and is glowing so bright that they have to put a veil over his face because they can't look at him. You understand? That's the kind of walk. Look, we've not just been saved so that we can go to heaven someday. 
That's, that's jumping to the ultimate blessing of the gospel. But the blessing of the gospel is right now. While I still inhabit this temporary flesh, who I am, the man that I really am, the living soul that I am, has been made alive, has been reconciled to God, that I might walk with him, that I might know him, that I might love him, that I might enjoy him. And through that closeness and intimacy of that walk, it spills into a life that can not but be bold in his name. I don't mean bull in a china shop bold. I mean like, you know, within, within good manners and within the, within the, the confines of being a, a, a decent, not scary member of society. Bold when it comes to speaking of Jesus. Bold when it comes to making decisions for my life based on my relationship with him. It goes on, by the way. That's not even the end of it. Like, they, they noted that they had been with Jesus. And, they, and, of course, verse 14 says, they saw the man who had been healed standing there, so they couldn't say anything against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, go, go, go over there, get out, take them out of here. We need to talk. So then, now now all the, all the smart, educated aristocratic, important people have to have a discussion about what to do with the servants of Jesus Christ. Right? So they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. You know, maybe what they're saying is right. We should consider that Jesus actually, oh no, that's not what it says. Right? See, see, that, never, that never occurred to them, right? Like, like maybe the fact that this miracle was done is because what they're saying is true? No, 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 not even considered. Look at them. Listen to them. That, see, you see? <laughs> the boldness just cuts right through all that nonsense. Bam, love it. Hey, you, if you thought of a religion yourself, you wouldn't think of Christianity. Right? Because what does Christianity do? Christianity takes everyday nothing people and makes them bold as a lion. And they can stand right in the face of everything about life that is supposed to be so much better than them. And with grace and with love and compassion, share the truth. Listen, listen, a, a nobody with nothing, but who is filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the love of Christ because he walks with Christ, can stand before an Oxford educated billionaire and introduce him to the almighty creator of the universe. Out of this world. What shall we do, they say? So verse 17. So that it spreads no further, hmm, let's severely threaten them. See, here's where the boldness comes in, right? Here's where the boldness... to, to use, a, to use a, a common controversial term today, their boldness in Christ is like a vaccine against what is about to be done to them. Right? Let's threaten them. They're immune to being threatened. Right? Why? Because they've been with Jesus. That from now on, they speak to no man in the city. Let's threaten them. Bring them back in here. And let's severely threaten them and tell them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So they call them in and they command them, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's what time spent with Christ does. We can't not speak. Do you understand? It's in me. I walk closely with God. I'm in a relationship with God as much or even more than I'm in a relationship with my wife or I'm in a relationship with my children or I'm in a relationship with all of you. I'm in a relationship with my friends and it's real, it's tangible. I'm in a, these people are in a relationship with God that's even deeper and stronger than that and you're trying to threaten us and command us not to speak his name? That's like, that's like commanding me to say I don't have these hymnals stuck here. Even I can see them. You know, it's like commanding me to just walk straight down the aisle here and forget that I have this in front of me. I, I can see it. 
What do you mean don't speak in the name of Jesus? He's real. I spend time with him. I walk with him. I'm in a relationship with him. The boldness they have was, they must have, they must have chuckled a little bit at this. What are you talking about? Don't speak his name. That's where boldness comes from. It comes from time spent with him. And listen, this, is, this isn't even done yet. Just skip ahead a little bit. Um, they go back, in verse 23, they're let go. They go back to their companions. They report everything that they said, and then they decide they're going to pray together. Let's not leave prayer out of this. All right? See, see, prayer, we think that prayer is like a, a religious exercise that you do. Right? And there is discipline required for it. So don't, there is the, the human characteristic, estimable quality of discipline is a good thing. There's a reason why we're called disciples. It's the same word as discipline, right? So listen, however, it's not just that. It's interaction with God. Here's their prayer. Starts in the middle of verse 24. Lord, your God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They're praying to God and acknowledging that what happened to Jesus was actually God's plan to save them. Right? Now, Lord, look on their threats. And Lord... Please take these bad people away. Lord, please send us somewhere else. Lord, show us what else we ought to do. No, do you see what they ask? Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. He asks them to stretch out their hand, stretch out his hand to do signs and miracles all through the name of Jesus. Do you see what the point is? Where does boldness come from? Time spent with Jesus and asking for it. They were told, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And so they didn't say, Lord, they told us not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. So now what do you want us to do? That was not their prayer. Their prayer was, Lord, they've told us not to speak in the name of Jesus. So give us boldness so that we can go and speak in the name of Jesus. Because even though they told us not to, you've told us to. So where does boldness come from? Boldness comes from walking with Christ. Real boldness. Again, I'm not talking about that natural, like some people just have that natural inhibition about other people and some don't, you know. I'm not just talking about a human characteristic. I'm talking about an inner fire. An unquenchable fire that is so filled with the love of Jesus from walking closely with him that we can not but speak of him. Do you understand? It's a power that conquers fear. It's a power that conquers a lack of eloquence. It's a power that conquers a lack of intelligence. It's a power that conquers a lack of education and everything else that the world will look at. Well, how can these guys speak? Listen to them. Look at them. Where are they? Why, why are they speaking like this? The power, the power conquers all of that. And that power is found in closeness with the source of that power. Who is a person. Our God. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now. So back in Acts chapter 19. We might have to split this up into three sermons. I don't know. Or four. I don't care. But you got to say these things, right? I mean, look how far we've gotten. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly. Right? But, 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 but there's a lot of things to observe about that. Again, it's not just a historical event that occurred. We have to stop and consider, who was he? He was someone who was chosen by God years before this to do it. 
And he went into a synagogue and spoke boldly for months, for three months. He didn't just go in once, make his statement, and then let me out of here. You know, hey, listen, Timothy, you hold the door, all right? I'm going to get in here and say this, and as soon as I say amen, before they lift their heads back up and open their eyes, you get that door open because we're out of here. No, he, he was, listen, three months, three months, and actually raised up disciples in the synagogue for three months because he had boldness, because the one who had called him, he had spent time with him. What is, who is Jesus to you now? Who is Jesus to you right now in this moment? Don't, I, I'm not asking for facts or knowledge. Look, you're in this church any length of time. I know you know who he is. I know that. And so do I. Thank God we know, right? I know you read your Bible and so you have some knowledge and you have some understanding of who Jesus is. But who is he in your life? you love him? Sure loves you, right? When's the last time you and he just just had like a time together that was like, wow, that was awesome? When's the last time you just came to him and you just sat there and you just maybe did some reading and thought and, and just talked and and then just kind of quietly you, you waited on him and you listened. Maybe he called you on the phone while you were, while you were sitting there. And, you know. So, when, when uh, you know, that's, that's what's going on here in, with Paul. is like, he goes, this is, this, is, this is supernatural. It's God-given boldness. He goes into the synagogue for three months. So the first, by the way, the first of these ten points was it started with a man that God had chosen and saved and equipped and sent. And then the second characteristic of a thriving ministry was boldness in the name of the Lord Jesus. Boldness in the name of the Lord Jesus. The third, I love, the third point is, ready? So you got the right person You've got the right God, choosing the right person, giving them the right characteristics in their heart. And then ready? The third point is, they knew what they were about. They weren't mixed up in a bunch of stuff that was a waste of time and energy. He spoke for three months doing what? We're told what he talked about. You see it? Reasoning and persuading concerning the latest nuances of Roman government. They spoke and reasoned, attempting to persuade them concerning the, the virtues of Stoicism versus Epicureanism. They spoke and reasoned with them and did combat with the latest theories of critical race theory and, 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 and fighting about this and arguing about that. Listen, they got into this synagogue. And I say they because Paul had Timothy, he had Silas, he had Luke. He's part of a team. Maybe that should have been point 11. We'll see. But they went in for those three months and in that synagogue they talked about the kingdom of God. And, and, they did, and, and they talked about it like this. Reasoning, persuading the things of the kingdom of God. There's three things, three, three verbs. They spoke, they reasoned, and they persuaded. Spoke, reasoned, and persuaded. And don't you know, that's what God has raised up. The gospel, listen, the gospel is a message that is preached. You know the old saying, if you, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It is necessary. There is, there is no, I understand the spirit behind that, which is, has its own profundity, but it's also not true. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the 
word of God. So while, yes, it's important that we live our lives as a good testimony in such a way, it's important that we do good works. I mean, I mean, God himself did, right? God provided miraculous healings and things like that that went along with the preaching of his gospel. So that aspect of it is important. But they went, he went into the synagogue and he spoke and he reasoned and he persuaded. I, like, I love this because I like to compare this with... I, I, love, I love it. I, I, don't, I didn't plan this, but... God just worked it out so the absolute perfect passage of scripture to read to like kind of get some more insight into this is the passage of scripture we studied a few nights ago. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to this. You can turn if you want. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, The same Paul, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, ready? I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Isn't that interesting? What an interesting insight that he, he, he was weak, trembling, fearful, and yet bold as a lion. You see, boldness, when we speak of boldness, we're not speaking of like just a human trait. What he felt was fear. What he felt was weakness. What he felt was trembling. But what God did in him was produce boldness. See, because like we're told, when we're weak, what? He's strong. Hallelujah. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. Now, it says here in, in, in Acts 19 that he was reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Yet in 1 Corinthians he says, I was, I was with you in weakness, fear, and trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. Is that a contradiction? No. Because it says in 1 Corinthians, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul went in there and it wasn't about his eloquence. It wasn't about being a good marketeer. It wasn't about being a good salesman. It wasn't about trying to do it in such a way that he was making like a fame for himself or an audience for himself. He went in there into Corinth and he went into Ephesus and everywhere he went, he just preached that simple gospel message because he recognized that the power was not in him. The power was not in his skill. The power was all in God. God gave him the boldness to declare that there wasn't salvation in anybody else other than Jesus Christ wherever he went. And then he said, I wanted you, I came to you not in the persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. What is that? When Paul spoke those simple words Christ crucified, buried and risen on the third day the only hope of salvation when someone believed God came into them and the power of God was at work. See there's the manifest power of God when someone believes they were dead and they're made alive. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. What's that? It's the wind. It's like the wind, man. That's how it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, Jesus said. You were born of water. You're here. You're physical. You're alive. But the spiritual you is dead. You need to be born again. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're born again. Another birth, a spiritual birth. You were dead in trespasses and sins and He made you alive. That's the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And that's when Paul went and preached. He spoke boldly because he knew the one who was the source of that power. And he didn't go in and try to persuade people with his intellect or try to entertain them with stories or try to debate about all of the, the, the hot-button hot issues of the day in the Roman Empire. He went in and he knew nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified because he knew that at the end, that's all that mattered. That's where salvation comes from. That's why our sister Carmen, even in a difficult situation, 
we can still pray for her with some sense of peace because she knows Christ. That's why Aunt Rose, we can pray for her with some sense of peace because she knows Christ. Because Christ invades situations and adds a demonstration of power that man can't explain. And that power is all found in the gospel itself. All right, I said I was going to do five, I'm going to do three, and I'm going to stop there. So it looks like this is going to be at least three sermons now, okay? Shake your head yes, because you really have no say in the matter. I mean, I mean, listen, we're going to start, and when, when we're done, we're done. All right? There you go. So anyway, the first three characteristics of a thriving ministry. Number one, started off with a man that God had chosen, saved, equipped, and sent. Number two, they had boldness, which was a product of being with the Lord, walking with the Lord, enjoying the presence and the relationship of God so that it just flowed out of them. They couldn't do anything other than speak in the name of Jesus. And then number three, they, were, they knew what they were about. They were about preaching and teaching the kingdom of God, not a bunch of other stuff. They were focused on the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel those are the first three characteristics of a truly thriving ministry. There's seven more revealed in this passage. We'll pick it up again next Sunday. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much for this time that we have together here today. Thank you, Lord God, for all of your goodness to us and your mercy, your kindness, your grace. Thank you for revealing these things to us. May I be a doer of these things, not just a blowhard speaker of them, but a doer of them. Lord, please. May all of us, Lord, be doers of these things. Doers of these things. May our ministry thrive in spreading the knowledge of you. Mm. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us boldness to speak of you. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to purge out all the nonsense and the stuff that wastes time and grasps our hearts and distracts us and help us to walk with you, to know you, to love you, to enjoy you. Please forgive us of our sins. Thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive. Hallelujah! You forgive, cleanse from all unrighteousness. Please forgive us. Help us to walk closely with you for real, for real. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Can my singing ensemble come back up here, please, and, and Fanny on the piano? Let's close by singing a hymn. Oh, what's up there? 271. What's that? Standing on the promises, like it? 271. Let's all stand, everybody, and let's worship. Let's stand and worship with one more song here together. Hallelujah.
for being here today, everybody. Thank you to those of you who joined us online. Uh, after the service is over here, we're going to go outside. It's kind of sunny, nice out there. It's a little chilly, but we're going to go outside and have our fellowship outside, as we've been doing. We have a nice big crowd in the room today. It's great. We still have, still, you know, we're not crazy about all the restrictions and stuff, but we still want to be sensitive to some of it as well, though. So, so we're going to move our fellowship outdoors. Uh, there is youth group tonight at 6 o'clock in my house, so come on over for that. And we'll have our prayer time. I want to encourage you, some of you, you know, just make the effort if you can. It's like 15, 20 minutes long. Tuesday night, you don't even need to go anywhere. Just sign on to the church's Facebook page, and we've been praying together, praying about a lot of the stuff that we were talking about today. And uh, it's a good time just to unite online and uh, be, a, be a presence there, be a good testimony, and, and go to the Lord and pray to the Lord together. So I encourage you to watch for that and join in on that. No Bible study this week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I, 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 I made it almost through the whole service without pointing this out, but, but you know, like, like today would have been the church's Thanksgiving dinner, right? If, if we were doing that. And so we've lost two of those now. But Lord willing, we won't lose too much more of this stuff. Just be ready because we're going to try to plan something for Christmas. I don't know, a little concerned. There's some concern about the room downstairs as like kind of a low ceiling and stuff. And so it's like putting, it's like it makes it feel. Uh, so, some of your view is so what? And then some of you, the view is like, well, we still need to be careful. And we want to just be careful. But we're going to do something at Christmas, all right? It might be something that's more geared for being up here in a bigger open room. Maybe like a Christmas carol singing time and some, some hot chocolate and some cookies downstairs or something like that, okay? So be watching for announcements like that because we've got to have some holiday fellowship, don't we? I mean, don't we need to turn the page and have a little holiday fellowship at some point here, right? So, and then Lord willing, by next Thanksgiving, we'll get this back because, I don't know, man, missing two of those, it's like the single biggest event in the church every year. So anyway, hopefully next year we get that back. Anyway, all right. So God bless you, everyone. You know about our offering. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and contributing and underwriting the work of the church. We don't pass plates anymore. There's a box on the table in the foyer on your way out if you want to put an offering there. That's great. You can also give online. Check with one of our deacons if you need to know how to do that. All right. Brother Brian, would you close our service with a word of prayer? And then we're done for today, everybody. Mighty God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, as always. In your word, you don't abandon us. You didn't abandon us to sin. And you don't abandon us to, to just living a life wondering how to serve you and what to do. You show us. And you show us plainly, Lord. And I thank you that you've uh, given us a pastor that looks into the word and shows us there as well. Yes. Almighty God, your love for your people yes. astonishes you. Yes. Thank you for this time. Thank you for everything that you have provided with your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all together say goodbye from here to all of us who are joining us online. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. 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 B